Um, if you can do this, take a deep breath with me. Um, I'm going to pray. Let me take just a quick moment of silence and we'll open up scripture together. So would you do that with me? God, the words that stood out to the, the song that we were singing just a few moments ago is uh, that because of you, I am a sinner made holy. Um, and that seems so odd. I'm very comfortable saying I'm a sinner. To be saying that I'm made holy is still uncomfortable. And yet that's a, a tribute to, to your radical, supernatural, life-transforming work that you have done in so many of us and desire to continue to do holy, 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 that you want to make us more like your son, Jesus. And so, God, we worship you in this place. We acknowledge that this is your time and your moment. And this right here, what is happening is sacred because you are here first and you designed it and invited us into it. Holy Spirit, as we pause and as we listen, would we open up not just our minds but our hearts to what it is that you want to do in moving in us, speaking to us, calling us forward, challenging us, forming us into new and different people. Would you have free reign in us in this time and space and throughout our lives? Would you be working right now? And Jesus, we need you. You are the reason that we can say we're sinners made holy. And we want not only everyone that is in and listening right now, but we want our city to come to be able to say that, that they're sinners made holy. And so we invite you to work. We need your truth. We need your way. We need your life. There is no other. You have the words of life for us. And so we want to hear them now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, if you've, uh, so I want, to, I want to talk about three things, and I'm going to have to do it really fast, so I'm going to talk really fast, and you'll be able to, to keep up and listen, I'm sure. But I want to talk about three things. Uh, brain circuitry. I want to ask a question about self-care. And then I want to talk about trees just for a moment. So three things, brain circuitry, uh, self-care, and trees. Real easy stuff. Here we go. Psalm uh, chapter 1, uh, first three verses, I think, address all three of these. So if you've got a Bible, find your way to Psalm chapter 1, the first three verses are what we're going to be looking at. Some of you will be very familiar with these verses. We're taking a fresh look at them today. Believe that God is calling us to, to simple and deep paths that help us experience God's presence. We need more of God's presence in our our life, in our hearts, in our world. And that happens through the people that know and follow Jesus. And so we're all invited into that. Um, I've, I found this line uh, from a friend about six weeks ago. It was a, a quoting Mr. Rogers who said, life is deep and simple. Life is deep and simple. What the world gives us is complicated and shallow. What the world gives us is shallow and complicated. Those two contrasts of what we have around us in the world of, of complication and, and a shallowness, that we know that we long for something more, that we're created for our creator, that we're created with a depth and a need and a desire on a very deep level, that this world just doesn't satisfy. It satisfies in an instant for a moment, and then it's fleeting and gone. And so we as a church, we as followers of Jesus, want to find those deep and simple paths that connect us with the God of the universe. And so, in Psalm, uh, in Psalm chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, say this. Listen to these words. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree <clears throat> planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, 
and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I think in these three verses, we have an invitation to a depth of life that we long for and a simple way to get there. I think we, we see these, this contrast, obviously, right? That, uh, to, to stand or to walk in. It says walk, stand, and, and sit in the way of the wicked, a way of sinners, and the way of mockers. So that, none of those three is, is anyone that we're drawn to. I, w- I really want to spend some more time with somebody who's wicked, or there's a sinner, let's go hang out, or I want to become more like that sinner, or there's someone who, and mocking maybe, maybe we appreciate the skill of mocking, and there's times or moments where we go, oh, I, I want to have that skill. And then we actually sit down and realize the impact of it and go, that's nothing I want a part of. There's these contrasts to, to that's one kind of being and life. And then the other, it says the, the person that delights in the law of the Lord, the God's law. And at this time that, that, psalm, that this, this psalm is being written, we don't have the New Testament yet. What we have is a, is a history and a people that God's called together. And they have what we now know as the Old Testament. And part of that is, is God's law. So when it says God's law, it's the words they have from God. It's God's words to humanity. It's God's voice that I want to hear from God. We talked last week how we're created to hear. Psalm 40, verse 6 says that that God doesn't desire, God doesn't require sacrifice and offering. But what he wants is is our hearts and our minds attuned to him. It says that he dug out our ears, meaning he created us with the capacity to hear, to be in relationship with God. That's God's idea. That's who we are. We have the capacity and the ability to hear from God. And yet for many of us, that seems so foreign and distant. And we have in, in this first few verses of the book of, of Psalm, these, these contrasting pictures of the, the person is blessed who does not walk in the way that sinners take, who stand in the way of sinners, who sit in the, in the seat of mockers. It's the one who does not do that, but who delights in the law of the Lord and longs for him and listens to him and is present with him. It's these two contrasting pictures. And again, I I think these three verses uh, speak to brain circuitry, self-care, and and trees. Brain circuitry, um, the the neural pathways in our brain of how our brain works. We, We know this, that over the last two decades, there has been exponential growth in study of the human brain. Fascinating. We have more technology, we have smarter doctors, more education, every generation learns more, and we can study the human brain. So we actually know more about the human brain, exponentially more than previous generations. And we've learned these massive things about how memory works and how patterns and habits get developed and how the brain heals and when it's damaged and all these different kinds of things. So we know more about ourselves. One of the things that we know is that there's these circuitries or these neural pathways that get established, and we, we function by them. When we get stimulus from the outside, when we react to something, the way that our brain works, it forms these habits and these ways of going over these neural pathways. Some of those are really good and help us. Others are not. Others are wildly unhealthy. They're damaging to ourselves and others. They don't help us to grow or to thrive or to flourish in this life. And so when, when a neural pathway that's not serving our human good as designed by God There's a way to do that, and there's lots of ways that changes that. But one of the ways is to develop new habits that don't remove the existing, but transform it into something that is good and for our good, and that's what God desires for us. We've learned more about how our brains work, and one of the things we know is our brains 
are looking at what's going on outside of us and adjusting to it. That you and I, listen to this, you and I have new neural pathways because of the world around us. That's how our brains work. It's formed to what's going on. One of the things that has changed over the, over the last generations is the pace of life. I know that's not new information to anyone. Things move at a faster pace now than ever before. That's largely due in technology. It's other, due to other reasons as well. Our brain circuitry, our neural pathways are adjusting to the pace, the clutter, the complexity of life, the amount of information and how much it's faster. I, I haven't kept up with the percentages of increase of information that is available. But what I do know is my grandma that grew up in my home, that I grew up with in my home, she lived with us a majority of my childhood. She was raised by her grandparents. So now I had the influence of four generations, my parents' generation, my grandmother, skipped that one, and then another one. I had the influence in my home of four generations past. And most of that I absolutely hated because it was bizarre and foreign, it was very different. And I had this influence, and so I actually have parts of my brain that are formed by that because my grandmother was so close to me. I can tell you this about my grandmother. My grandmother never got an answer to life's complexities or questions by using her thumbs to ask Google. She never did that. She died in 1998. She doesn't know what that's like to punch into a screen. Why am I here? Why do I exist? How do I ask out a girl and she says yes? I mean, she didn't, she didn't type any of that into Google and get that kind of coaching or direction. But we, we do that for everything now. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting around with my boys who are 23, 21, and 15. And we talk about something, and before we get there, and Abby and I are able to dispel our wisdom for them, they're sitting at the dinner table with an answer from Google. And so I don't know how many phones I've taken and thrown out the front door and said, no, you're going to listen to us. No, that hasn't happened. But we do that. We've adjusted. That affects our brains. Our brain circuitry is adjusting. We are adjusting to the world around us. We are being formed by the world around us. Let me give you a statistic. It came out this week. I read it in Pew Research. It was published on the 13th. That was last Tuesday. Pew Research published this latest study. I don't know if you've seen this or heard this anywhere. It's not even a week old yet. A study came out that said the decline in the number of people who identify as followers of Jesus as Christians in our nation is rapidly declining. Again, not shocking. We probably would have assumed that. In 1972, 1972, 90% of people polled said that they identified as Christians. 35 years later, 35 years later, in 2007, 78%. In 35 years, a decline of 12%, 78%. That's still a lot. That's still way a majority. In 13 years, from 2007 to 2020, it moved from 78 to 64. 35 years, decline of 12%. 13 years, decline of 14%. Rapid decline. The year 2045, so a little over 20 years away. It's pegged to be the first time, if statistics continue, if trends continue in this way, that a, a minority of people in the United States of America will identify as, as Christians. We're being transformed by what's around us. We're being formed, some would say deformed, by what's around us. And that's not shocking, is it? 
And in, in fact, that's almost expected. When we look at the caliber and the quality of some of our lives of following Jesus, and certainly the public perception and the behavior of followers of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, as the church, how we have behaved, we have to look at the church, we have to look at us as one of the primary reasons for that decline. And I think, and this isn't my original idea, others have said it, we see it throughout scripture. When we look to the world around us and place a priority on that rather than the voice of God, and not just the voice of God, but God's presence in our life, the God who is saying, I've dug ears for you because I want you to hear me. I want to be with you. I want you to know me and, and I want to know you more. When we neglect that, we become a different kind of person that is more in line with walking in step with the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the company of mockers, and less like the person who delights in the voice and the law and the word of God. We only need to look over the last hundred years and we could see around the world, not just in the U.S., how people in the name of Jesus have done things that are very unlike Jesus. I read this list recently of, of just a quick snapshot of look around the world at different regions and how people who have believed the right thing, if you ask them to take a test on theology of what they believed about the Trinity, of what they believed about Scripture, of who they believed Jesus was, of how the Holy Spirit works, they could answer those questions correctly. They had the right belief but God's presence hadn't filled their heart and met them on a soul level and transformed them. And so we have German Lutherans complicit in Nazism during World War II and before. We have reformed evangelicals in South Africa during apartheid, treating other people as less than them. We have Southern Baptists in our own nation teaching, propagating, and participating in racism, and actively participating, and even if you can believe it, as much as it stings the ear, cheering when black people were lynched in the South in the name of Jesus, teaching it in their church, twisted theology, taking scripture and manipulating it for their own comfort and their own needs. Northern Irish Christians participating in terrorism and sectarian violence against Catholics. Rwandan Pentecostals contributing to tribal genocide. And we step back and take a view of what's gone on. And then we look at our own nation and from 90% to 78% to 64%, we are being formed more by what's around us than the one who is intended to be in us and leading us and healing us and transforming us. When Psalm 1 talks about this contrast between being formed by the world that is around us versus attuning our, our minds, but more importantly, our hearts to the voice of God, to the voice of Jesus, of what he's saying to us and what he's calling us to, the contrast is more and more stark. And so we have this challenge before us of not just why, but how. How is it that we resist that that is around us and turn towards and hear from the one who is in us more clearly, more consistently? Deep and simple paths 
that help us experience the presence of God on a regular basis. And so this is why I want to ask a question about self-care. Because as we look at the world around us, it is easy for us to go to a place that says, what we need is more disciplined, more regular, more consistent self-care. And so I, want to, I just want to ask an honest question. Actually, it's a two-part question. It is still honest, but it's got two parts. What is the good of self-care, and what is the limitations of self-care? And self-care is, is this, if I can define it as, as this. It's a way of acknowledging our human limitations and taking care of ourselves. So human limitations, time is one. None of you are a time traveler. And if you are, you're not going to tell anyone because you're going to go to another time and you just want to be mysterious. So none of us are time travelers. We can't control time. We all have the same amount of time. Secondly, we have physical bodies that we have to take care of. They need food. They need rest. They need another thing. It's, uh, what is it? What is it? Oh, exercise. And we have to sleep. Attending to those things, our physical limitations, our mental limitations, and putting boundaries on those things so that we can function in a somewhat healthy way is self-care. And those are all good things. What is the limit of self-care? The limit of self-care is limited by its starting point and ending point. Its starting point and ending point is yourself and yourself. And that is the limitations of self-care. Now, those are necessary and good limitations, but it is limited because it is centered on and focused on me. Me time. Myself, my boundaries. Good. Those are good. Those are necessary. Those are needed. We should figure out what those are and implement them in our life. That is good. Self-care is limited because it's only ourself. And so we get stuck in this cul-de-sac of caring for ourselves, and we fail to actually look up and see what the bigger picture is. And so self-care is not the same thing as soul care. There is a difference. Soul care has as its center not ourself, not even our soul, but soul care has the function, the design of our soul as its focus is Jesus. And so when we talk soul care, we're talking about what does it mean to take our attention and to place it on Jesus. And so soul care is anything that takes our time, attention, and energy, and effort, and centers it on Jesus. And not all of the time when we do that do we feel fully rested. Many times we do. That's God's intention. But sometimes we might actually feel exhausted. We might actually feel a deeper longing that is not yet fulfilled. We might identify some work in our life that God wants to change and do that we don't have a plan for yet. But if we're to look at the world around and say, I don't want to be formed by that. I'm just going to do self-care. We're missing a key part of who we are. I think about it this way. We had some raised beds in our home, in our backyard, not in our home. That would be odd. But in our backyard uh, a number of years ago, and, and we, we replaced them, and so they're gone. Um, and so the last couple years, what we've done is we haven't planted that, that much stuff. It's just been little. But one of the things that Abby has been very intentional about is, is tomato plant. And so she's bought one or a few tomato plants each of the last few years. And, and so we have this sitting on our back porch where, and we, we set it up, and we, um, when we buy it and bring it home from the store, and we replant it and make sure it's got good soil, and we put one of those metal, like, cage things around it and make sure that it's all safe inside of it and it's set it up straight and it gets enough sun and enough coverage and it's all, it's all good. All of that is like self-care. If we were to do all of that for the plant right there and then walk away and then come back whatever number of weeks or months later and be like, give me tomatoes, we wouldn't get any, would we? If we don't water it, if we don't actually pour water into the soil around the plant that goes down through the soil and gets absorbed into the roots, we're not truly feeding the plant in the way that it needs to be fed. 
so that it will flourish and produce the fruit that it's intended to produce. Soul care is very different than self-care. When we talk about deep and simple past that help us experience and connect us to the God of the universe and to bring more of his presence into our life, we're talking about soul care. And so we wanna grow in the way that we care for our souls. And that's when it says we, those whose delight is on the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, which is like of all the time, of that we're bringing God's voice into our life all the time. That's what we're called to. That's what we're invited to. And so we want to be doing that as the way that we do. We look at Scripture and engage with Scripture. We talked last week of a, of a reading plan that we're starting in about a, two weeks. About two weeks, October 1st. Just a way, if you're not regularly in Scripture right now, that's an easy on-ramp, an easy thing to start. Let me change that a little bit. I'm not sure it's easy, actually. I think if it was easy, maybe everybody would already be doing it. So let me edit that a little bit. It's not easy. It's simple. It's clear and it's accessible. It is not complicated, but it may not actually be easy. And as I say that, reading scripture might not be easy for you. And you know what? That's okay. You and I are capable of doing really hard things, aren't we? This is a hard thing that is necessary that we have to do. The options are so clear. The contrast is so great. We're formed by things around us overformed by the one who created us. And reading his word is one of the most accessible and clear ways, not necessarily easy, but accessible and clear ways to hear from God or learn to hear from God. Prayer is the second thing we talked about, is what does it look like to be praying and enter into that wonderful struggle of learning to hear from God and talk to God? And the third that we talked about last week is to be processing it with somebody else who is pursuing Jesus together with you. Look at this verse from uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 44, 45. It says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Something is going to form us. It could be the things that are around us in the world, or it could be the one who created us, who actually says he's inside of us, that he is in us, forming us, healing us, transforming us. First Peter, 5, 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual houses, a holy priesthood. You are being built into a spiritual house. Let me say that another way. A temple of the Holy Spirit. You say that and you're like, wait, I don't, I don't know exactly what that is. What does that look like? And so we, we write in English, spiritual house. That doesn't quite capture it. Spiritual house, we can, we can think about that in a lot of different ways. We can move the furniture around, what's in a spiritual house, what's not in a spiritual house. We can think about one of our own houses. Temple of the Spirit. The temple was a specific thing that God designed and gave to his people. And then it's an imagery that he uses and promises for all of his followers going forward. And then he calls us a temple. 
that he's carefully crafted and designed, but were designed for a purpose, as the temple was designed for a purpose. As we read about the temple throughout the Old Testament, it says that God came and filled the temple, and so his presence was with his people. But now you and I are the temples, and so his presence is meant to fill us. And for some of us, we've got like a, a room filled, or maybe we only have an entryway filled, or maybe we, the pantry is full of the Spirit, but the living room isn't filled. We've got parts of our life that aren't full of the Spirit. And what God is wanting to do is fill more and more of us with his Holy Spirit. I want to tell you about two kind of paths in my life that have converged over the last five years. And I would say one of them increasingly grew without the Holy Spirit, without God's presence in it. And one increasingly grew with. About five years ago, six years ago, um, mentor Paul Rhodes, uh, if you don't know that name, he was a key part of our life of our church. He passed away a little, just a month over three years ago. Um, he invited me to move from a mentoring relationship to a spiritual direction relationship. And our conversations changed and the questions he asked changed and the reflection that he gave back to me changed as we listened together to what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life. And that was great and it grew. He challenged me to, to pray in some new ways. Um, I began reading scripture in some new ways. That part of my life was growing and thriving. Another part of my life. Um, about five or six years ago, my dad had a stroke. I was Immediately, it seemed pretty severe, and then he recovered real quickly, and his, his, physicalness, his physical limitations healed really quickly. But then what we discovered was that what that stroke did was kick-started uh, vascular dementia. And so uh, for the last five or six years, my dad has struggled with dementia. And over the last two years specifically, it's increased significantly. And it was about a, a year ago that he no longer was really able to talk much. And so if my dad were here in the room today and we were in a conversation, he would look completely normal. His eyes would track, he would nod, he would be following the conversation, but he couldn't communicate. There's a whole host of other things that go with dementia. For the last year or so, uh, every three or four months, I've been trying to get out to Denver to relieve my mom for 48, 72 hours so she can take a break and to be with my dad. And one of the things that's not able to happen, we're not able to talk much anymore. He'll start a sentence with a word or two and then he'll get frustrated and stop. He also has eaten cake with the wrong end of a fork. He's forgotten that he drinks coffee at lunch every day and thinks coffee is a new thing sometimes. He's the, the best handyman I've ever known and he's not quite sure how to use a wrench anymore. This part of my life was grieving that my dad is not here with me the same way anymore. And I realized that I was fine thinking about, I wasn't fine, I was thinking about it, processing it, actively grieving. That unlike my mentor, Paul, who died in an instant, that's a whole different kind of grief. This is an ongoing, gradual grief that I'm not sure quite how to navigate. But what I was really adept at doing was navigating it on my own without inviting the Holy Spirit into that room of my life. And over the last year, what God has graciously done is he's, he's grabbed that part and he said, you need to pull this part into this area of your life. You need to let me in so that I can grieve with you, so that you can know while your earthly, physical, biological dad 
can't communicate to you and be with you in the same way, I can be that and I can fill that. And I'm so glad that he's doing that. And it's not done and it's uncomfortable and awkward and painful, but God's pulling it in and saying, I want all of you here. I want you to hear from me. The world needs you and I to find the rooms in our life that do not have God's Holy Spirit presence and say, God, here it is. We live in a time and a place where everything around us is demanding to deform us and to form us into the world's image. As we look around this room, we know that there are people who are no longer with us. And if you're online, that's great. But if we know that there's some that are not in the room because they've been formed more by the world than by the voice of God. And so we wanna be a church family that is regularly and increasingly saying, God, come into the rooms of my life that I've held you out of. Heal them, transform them, create new paths of thinking and being so that I can be with you. Transform my brain, transform my heart, renew me so that I can be your temple here present in this world at this time, a light for you. Let's close our eyes and pray together and we're gonna send. I've gone long. Phil's going to lead us in two songs. And we're going to have time to come to the table. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to come to the table in a posture of confession. And I mentioned this last week. I want to mention it again. A great way to think about confession is to think about agreeing with God. And when it comes to sin particularly, when it comes to areas of our life that we've held away from God. It might be a sin of commission, something that we've done actively wrong, or it might be a sin of omission, a good that we haven't done. And so whether it's one or the other, would you come confessing and saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner who needs to be made holy. You alone can heal and transform. God, here's a room, a part of my life that I want to invite your presence into in a new way. And Jesus, we come to you acknowledging that it's your death and resurrection that alone gives us hope for this world and for our lives. And we want to be your people. We want to be the spiritual houses. We want to be the temples that are more and more filled with your spirit, transformed by you and your voice and your word and your law, to be distinct people in this place and time who stand apart and different from the world and offer it hope and a future. And Jesus, we come to your table offering our lives. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you.